0: Uh, hey, are you up all night tossing, turning, mind racing, trouble getting to sleep, trouble staying asleep? Well, welcome. This is Sleep With Me, the podcast that's here to put you to sleep. We do it with a bedtime story. All you need to do is get in bed, turn out your lights and press play. I'm going to do the rest. And what I'm going to try to do is create a safe place where you can set aside whatever's been keeping you awake. Whether it's uh, thoughts and thinking about stuff that's keeping you awake or something physical tossing and turning or something else or something you're feeling emotionally you're dealing with it could be the distant past or the not so distant future or anything in between i guess would be everything and that sometimes can keep me awake everything but whatever it is uh i'd like to distract you from that what i'm going to do i was going to say take your mind off of that distract you and that's kind of a safe place that's kind of what this podcast is. What I'll do is I'll send my voice across the deep dark night. I'll use these lulling soothing creaky dulcet tones. I'll put on my meanderwear which allows me to like you see well how do you do like uh, what do you do 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 you uh, suck on um what are those mouth numbing mints what are that what's that stuff called I don't even know Novocaine mints. No, it turns out they don't make those. I I don't, at least uh, not that I know about. And uh, but no, no, I don't have to. What I do is I put on my my me me, me meanderware. For some reason, whenever I say it, I say instead of my, I say me me meanderware, but not in a pirate voice because that wasn't a pirate voice. That was my uh, swashbuckling, one of my you know forebears or whatever. The swashbuckling, you know. The, the most boring man in the seven seas, and he he was the inventor of meanderware. That, now that's a brand. That's a brand I'm working on. So it's not a real person. But do you think you could you mind if I do a little test marketing in here? Uh, would you buy meanderware? That's who, it's is me meanderware, not me meanderwear, me just meanderware from my company. Two, does do you think that uh. Having a swashbuckle does it does having a swashbuckling character make you more likely to buy me underwear? Uh three what is me underwear and what does it do? Well I do I can't tell you that cuz I'm in the middle of a podcast intro but anyway so excuse me uh like uh, I'll be ba- I don't think I'll be back uh, but if you want to buy me underwear just send your checks to me underwear station uh, care of me, meanderware. Like, uh, cause I'm gonna tuck it right in the waistband. Uh, ba- Battle Creek, Michigan. Uh, P- like, uh, whatever. You know, don't send anything. Actually, okay. If you're new here, sorry about that. That was like, uh, that's what happens when I put the meanderware on. It's so comfy. By the way, did you think would that make you buy meanderware? Uh, no. Okay. I think I'm trying to. I think I'm alone in a closet recording a podcast, trying to sell stuff to myself. Let's get some. Let me let me just talk to the new listeners for a second, then we'll get some words of wisdom from uh, Captain Picard. How does that sound? So, if you're new here, welcome to Sleep with Me. It's a podcast to take your mind off stuff. A little bit silly, a little bit goofy. Uh, You, if you're if you're if you're a tween, you probably say lame. I don't know if tweens use that word. Uh, but, but nine out of 10 tweens that use the word lame, you would say this show, but but then, and then at bedtime, they said, well, the lame in a good way was my, it went off the rails again. So if you're new here, this podcast basically meant to distract you. The uh, structure of the show, if it could be loosely defined as that top of the show, we got a few minutes to credits and to pay the bills. Looks like we're about four minutes into an intro that's usually around 12 minutes. Uh, Then we'll be talking about Star Trek The Next Generation. And we'll do that for maybe 40 minutes plus with, uh, you know, lulling, soothing tones and pointless meanders. And here's your takeaways. You don't really need to pay attention to me. I think you probably figured that out. You know, you seem like a reasonable adult. Uh, But you can. I'll be here the whole time. I'll be here for an hour to keep you company. And that's the yeah, other side of it. You don't got to be in any hurry to fall asleep because, I'll, you know, I'll be here meandering. And I'll be, you know, it'll be mildly, it, it'll be just entertaining enough if you're stuck listening to me. It won't be terrible. uh. But ideally, you just say, well, I don't really need to listen. I can't, you know, like, I don't know. I always say I'm glad you're here because I, I have trouble sleeping. And I've had a lot of uh, sleepless nights in the past. But let's do uh, Captain Picard's. It's not always Captain Picard. Is it Captain? Jean-Luc Picard uh, said in this episode, tonight's episode, many of the qualities, uh, dot, 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 the uncertainty, the self-discovery, the unknown, those are many of the qualities that make life worth living. Well, at least to me, as Jean-Luc said, I would want a lived life knowing, that's a paraphrase because I couldn't, I messed up, I'll try it again. I wouldn't want to live knowing. Why do I want to say live life? uh, Knowing that my future was written, that my boundaries had already been set. Would you? Well, thanks, Jean-Luc, for asking. But so Jean-Luc says, you know, that uh, the uncertainty, the self-discovery, the unknown, those are the qualities that make Jean-Luc's life worth living. And knowing the future, like, like I guess he's, the future's wide open and it's uh, full of unknown self-discoveries. And, and I guess those are the things. I don't know how Jean-Luc sleeps. It seems he looks like he sleeps great. You know, and I think, you know, that's probably something that, the, that might be what, like what the, one of the things that Starfleet that That's why my fr- friggin' application keeps getting returned to me because they say, well, is it a trick? Should I answer these questions honestly or not? And then, of course, you can only apply once, so then I use, you know, then I have to lie when I come up with other names. Bjorn, that's lately, I try to go through all the, like, alphabet. So Bjorn is my first name in my current Starfleet applications. You know, but these ideas of the unknown, of self-discovery, those are kind of the qualities, uh, especially, like, uh, someone, you know, searching the unknown. Space, the final frontier... But at bedtime, that can be really—I I really would rather skip over the self-discovery. And I guess I wish I could say, well, it's just the unknown. Let me just go to bed. I think that's probably what Jean-Luc does. He reads a little Plato, And, uh, like, uh, I don't know what time during his shift he start, stops drinking Earl Grey tea. And then, you know, he probably just conks out. He says, like, uh, says tomorrow, which I guess is like a loosely defined thing in a starship anyway— Says tomorrow will be tomorrow. It's the unknown. I'll be ready for the self-discovery that comes tomorrow. Uh, you know, because the, the, tomorrow's unwritten, and you know I'll learn what boundaries I need to set tomorrow. So that's a pretty healthy outlook on life. For, for, and if he's a fictional character, if, if I mean clearly, if if you're like me and you overthink stuff and have trouble sleeping, but actually he's not like in your face about it. He, you know, he just said, Geez, I, "I don't know." So, I guess this one, it is the wisdom of that kind of wisdom is probably for Jean Luc and Jean Luc only. Uh, I mean, it's something to strive for, but probably not at bedtime. I, probably we don't need to concern ourselves with self. I mean, <laughs> boy, self discovery. I can't even walk right into that one at bedtime. But, uh, <sighs> um, oh boy. I mean, we probably don't need you know any 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 self discovery. Probably don't need to any self introspection. Is that a, introspection int, interest, introspective journeys, or whatever the other stuff he said? You, you know, seeking out the unknown. But you, if you could leave it alone, and say, well, I mean, I guess that's what this podcast is here for. Just say, hey, let the unknown be the unknown. We don't know how tomorrow's going to go. I do know what it's like not to be able to fall asleep. And I do know what it's like to lie in bed thinking about the next day. So I try to offer an alternative. What I'm going to do tonight is talk about this episode of, uh, I just said Game of Thrones, Star Trek The Next Generation, uh, The Masterpiece Society. And, you know, I'll do I'll do it in the most lonely, soothing way I can. I'll even try to slow down a little bit now. I guess I was getting a little excited there with Jean, you know. I, I, I guess I had a little, you know, I was trying to maybe... I, just, I guess, like, I wouldn't mind being like Jean-Luc. I've been watching these episodes now, and I see there's a lot of ad, admir, admirable characters on this Enterprise and with very healthy makeup, but they're still human beings. I think that's another thing... Jean-Luc says about that at some part. He says, Jesus, these are the things that make us human, our imperfections, and are just grappling with them. Uh, but just not a bedtime. I guess that would be my pocket. Let's just keep it fictional. Bedtime, keep it fictional, but not about me. I guess that's what I would tell Let's keep it fictional, but not about me, uh, and not about my future my past. You know, just let me, let me freaking go to... Let me freaking go to sleep. That would be, uh, I don't know what that has to do with Star Trek, but that has a lot to do with this podcast. So I guess I revisit what I said. I'm glad you're here. You don't need to pay attention, but I'll be here for an hour to keep you company, to take your mind off of stuff, you know, to take my thoughts and turn them inward and then, you know, jumble them up, you know, shake them, you know, shake them up like, you know, like they're in some sort of cocktail shaker. That's kind of that's what I call my brain. It doesn't. I don't even have to shake it though. It's already pre-jumbled. My brain came pre-jumbled, among other things. I said because I said, like this was another time." I don't think this was at a particle collider, but you know, along with like like uh, tasting things. You know, if they're doing, if I find out about some sort of experiment, especially if it involves matter or antimatter you know, I like to go down there and stick something in there, body part, just in case there's powers or just see what happens. And I think this one, they said, geez, like uh, something. And they said they started running all sorts of things. There's lab coats, people running around. There was like, you know, horns going off. And then they did some sort of scan. And they they, they said, but geez, look at this. Look at this. Brain's been, his brain's been jumbled. And they said, oh, no, 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 my brain came that way, believe it or not, we pre-jumbled. It said it right on my birth certificate. And they say, really? And they said, no, no, I think it was the delivery form from the stork. Like, I think some sort of, you know, someone else had ordered me, and they they ordered a child with a pre-jumbled brain, no, no human hair. Uh, that was another thing on my request form, uh, animal fur instead of human hair. A pre-jumbled brain. Also, there's lots, of, lots of brain options. I don't think anybody talks about this because you know the doctors and stuff don't want. And your parents, if your kids are listening, this is how. This is how. Like this is like the real, real truth about made-up stuff about child, child uh, pr- production. So many options on the brain, and they also checked the brain goop and gap. I think they ordered gap, but I think it was glue. What do I have a goopy brain and a gloppy brain? Uh, personality traits they put um, clumsy, messy, devilishly charming, uh, delusional, and you know prefers to live in you know prefers to live in a fantasy world of its own construction, which may be, I, I don't know how that's different than delusional, argumentative, barely passively aggressively argumentative. That was like, almost. I don't know if that was a pun, but that was like, I was being, I don't know if you picked up on that. That was was like a passive aggressive move against passive aggression. That might be my, that might be my thing for 2017. Passively aggressive, passive. I don't know. We'll think of it anyway. I'm glad you're here. I mean, if there's anybody for the job to take your mind off stuff, I'm I'm pretty confident at this point it's me. And to do lulling suits, so, you know, I'm wearing meanderwear and I'm going to take my time getting there. And I'm here for you. I mean, if there's any message, you know, despite the jumbles and the goops and in, in, in the other stuff, whatever, it, that, that I don't have human hair, I mean, what a ripoff. You know, up until I started this podcast, that was a, li- a liability. Now, in the, the context of this podcast, uh, it's an asset's. So I'm glad you're here. If you're new, give us a couple of tries because, yeah, boy, this one was this one's out there, but uh I appreciate your time and I really hope and I really yearn to help you fall asleep, all right? Alright, so we're talking season uh, five, episode thirteen, the Masterpiece Society, and this episode was recommended by our friends over at women at warp dot com, the women at warp podcast. And you should check it out. Women in Warp is a twice-monthly podcast where four women talk about Star Trek. It's representations of women, contributions of women behind the scenes, and other other fun Trek topics. And they were nice enough to recommend this episode, so check out their podcast, uh, womenatwarp.com or find it on iTunes or wherever you consume your podcasts. And this episode opens in Moab 4 with a stellar core fragment, which looks pretty cool. Big blue ball. And they kind of talk uh, like uh, they're they're doing scans. I think the Enterprise got stuck just following uh, this core fragment through the universe. So that would be a boring job. But they they say, well, we got somebody like life signs down on this planet in some sort of environment. And Worf's hailing them, but they're not listening. They say, geez, did a, pl- did a ship go down here or what? And then Jordy's like, it looks like they uh, have some kind of old subspace of relay. And they say, okay, okay, use those lower bands, uh, like AM or FM or something. Ampicard says, geez, it's John Luke. Uh, Call me back. And then they put up a shield. uh and Riker says, well, that's not nice. And Riker, Picard says, well, geez, we're not doing anything. We just got this stellar core coming on through. It's going to uh, mess up gravity and, and tectonic action. And then this guy, Aaron, pops up on screen. Meanwhile, there's, like, another guy. It's like a FaceTime moment, and there's uh, but there's in this guy pacing in the background the whole time who's, like, ends up as their, like, uh, Supreme Court it is urgent. What else we got here? Oh, we mean no harm, but I, I said Picard would have said, it like, uh, Ronald Moore, like, this is fracking important about this fragment. Uh, but he didn't say that, but I put it in there. would pay fracking attention. Uh, but then the guys walked around in the background. And then we see, like, three more extras uh, and then they go back. The guy says, "Well, I don't know." He goes, "We're fine." He goes, "We got a we got a shield, and we're 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 a sealed off environment. No, nothing'll bother us." And then Riker goes, "Mr. Data, drop some science on them." And Data drops the science, and says, "You know, you're, you're not going to do it." Uh, uh, which they say, well, "You got to evacuate." And then the guy in the background is glaring. He goes, "Then that, that's when he says we're sealed in here." And Riker or Picard goes, we're we're capable of matter energy transport. And they're like, what? Holy moly. And, but the the Supreme Court guy doesn't like it. And they say, well, we'll send Riker and the crew to check it out. Uh, Also, they're dressed in the 80s, like almost like the 80s fashion was the, uh, the society decided that was what was modern, uh, which didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. But, uh. And then this guy, Aaron, his inflection and uh, his manner of speaking is very Peter Baelish-like. And then the episode opens, then that nervous guy, uh, the Supreme Court guy, Martin, he's talking about the dangers of introducing people into their society. There's a lot of modern sculptures. Uh, then they find out that this is an engineered society, and everyone from the Enterprise is like, What? Like WTF, like, holy cow, really. You know, like we selectively choose people and, and uh and they say, no, 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 not in a discriminatory way. You know, just discriminatory against genes and DNA. Like we're totally nice people, and everyone's like, uh But Troy kinda of finds it interesting because they think they're involved, evolved. Well, but they still need zippers and they have things with collars, but they're in a climate controlled environment and their clothing's layered, which I would say is evolved for comfort in a control climate controlled environment. Cause you say, okay, just keep it at 68 or 65 or 60. And then you layer your clothes. I'd say 60 would be my vote, but I know that's a little bit low, but then you say, layer your clothes, uh, But I don't know if like uh, your valve. Why do you need zip? What's with the collar? Because you think they wouldn't have like cross breezes unless you wanted. Uh, But let's see. Then they still need zippers. Seven forty-five was funny. They have this modern sculpture. It's seven minutes and forty-five seconds. Riker really looks over the sculpture like twice. It's just this modern abstract sculpture. Like he looks at it, then he looks more. It really, that was like one of the highlights of the episode. Uh, then they, like Martin says, which just we're all like engineered for our roles. Uh, like when Martin, when, no, Aaron says that when a- Martin leaves and he was engineered to be like, like a strict, like interpreter of our uh, constitution more or less. And so he's very strict, uh, you know, what is that called? By the book guy. Uh, so he doesn't, you know, he doesn't think any, he doesn't care if we're going to get, uh, fragmented by a star fragment. He says, you know, we got to stick with, uh, what the founders believed. And Aaron says, uh, well, but I was, you know, I'm here, I'm, I'm a politician. You know, I know how to smooth things out. And Troy says, obviously you do. And she says it in this smug way. And even Riker picks up on it. And then they go back and forth. And then you even see Aaron and Troy kind of share another moment. And then they go into the lab with Hannah Bates, uh, who's their head engineer. And uh, Jordy and Troy are in there and they're talking to her. And Jordy's like, okay, I'm going to meet with her and get an idea of the engineering. And Riker goes, okay, this is at 940. Riker goes, okay, uh, uh, Troy and I are going to head back, Jordy." And I think this has happened to all of us at a party at some time in one relationship in our wives lives where the other person it's time to leave the party, say, Hey, let's get out of here. The party's over and they're kind of flirting with someone. And maybe it's like, like you never know But they say. No, no, I think I'll stay. And Troy says that maybe it's your, you know, someone you're not in a relationship anymore, but it still burns. In this case, that's kind of what I got. Uh, he says, uh, what happened? She she says, no, I think I'll stay here. And he gets this look on his face. uh, And then he goes, Enterprise, one to beam up. And it was just one of the greatest moments of my entire life. Uh, I even put holy hell, uh, because, you know, Riker says hell every episode. He said it this one, but that was earlier. I missed it. Like, why the hell do they got a shield if they're but he said it like both pissed and amused, too, like Riker Wood because he's so smooth. He plays the trombone. So, I mean, obviously he's got things moves that I'm even unaware of. Uh, but that was just a great, great moment. Then uh, Aaron and Troy are in the garden, talking subtext. She goes, I hope my presence won't be disruptive. Don't want to throw you off your balance. And he goes, the damage is done. And they go. She goes. Well, what do you do about unexpected stuff? And he goes. Well, we're engineered, you know. Some things, small things that come up. But for the most part, you know, we run pretty well. You know, if we didn't. And he goes. It's pretty boring, right? It's pretty dull. And Troy laughs when he says dull. Like it's the most charming thing she's ever heard. You know, I don't have a like. Like I, I really like uh, like the characters on the show. So like Troy and Crusher and Tasha. Like, like, but I don't have a crush on anybody. So, but I could say, like, if, if she likes this guy who's charming and doll, like, I'm just doll. So maybe she might like me, but I, like, like, uh, know. I have too much respect for these characters. I just don't have a crush on any Star Trek characters. Uh, No, no, no. Any of those characters I just mentioned. Uh, but this is also when we see this, uh, like, uh, Connor, Aaron Connor is very, um, and this is when we get the Baelish moment for me, because she says, she's like, if uh, I find this all fascinating, because uh, I'm a student of human nature, he goes, a student of human nature? And she goes, yeah, I'm the ship's counselor. He goes, oh, no work for you. You know, that's what it, like a uh, classic line for all therapists is, I don't need therapy. I'm totally, uh, <laughs> she, she, she just lets it slide by. And she goes, she's, she said, he goes, you wouldn't be needed here. And she goes, oh, well, really, I'd book my next vacation here just to observe uh, if you had a hotel. And he goes, well, we don't have a hotel, but I'll build one. You know, very Baylor. She says, well, I have to build one. I don't know. I, I thought it was funny. And then we have Jordy and Hannah talking about tetrawise and plasma cores. And then they have an idea about a, using a multi phase tractor beam. Uh, to kind of push the fr- fragment away, so then they have a meeting with everybody, and they say, "Well, Hannah would have to go to the Enterprise," and so they argue about that, and then Aaron says, "Well, you can go, Hannah," and Troy's going to go with Hannah and Jordy back to the ship. She goes, "May I return later," and he says, "I look forward to it, my dear." Uh, then Jordy and Troy and Hannah go up, and then there's an ad. Uh then on the Enterprise, uh Troy and Picard are having this like very dark earl gray tea. And that's when we have this opening, you know, that they talked about the opening where Picard kinda of says, Geez, they've turned a dubious scientific endeavor into a dogma. And she goes, You don't approve of it? He goes, This isn't a bad idea, it's time long past. Uh Troy says, It's going well, and he goes, No, no, no. They've given away their humanity. He goes, the things they're trying to get rid of, self-discovery, unknown, those are the qualities that make a life worth living. He goes, you know, you, like we're made of mistakes. Uh, hint, hint, hint. And Troy says, well, geez, I'm just trying to figure it out. And he goes, uh, this counter. he seems like a reasonable guy. She goes, oh, yeah, I find him very, this is funny. She goes, I find him very reasonable, open to suggestions, it's thoughtful, quite disarming, the perfect Uh, uh, administrator. I put subtext for a lover because that's really what they're talking about. And he goes, really? You admire him? She goes, yeah, yeah. Uh, He cares about his people. And Picard says, well then, hopefully if he's a good leader, he'll make the right decision and people will follow him. Uh, Then we have Hannah and Jordy down uh, talking about uh, uh, Jordy's blindness and the idea of genetic manipulation and that some genes are better than others. And Jordy says, well, I'm just doing just fine. I don't need to, like, uh, like, I don't like, this is who I am. I'm a human being. And, uh, like that, that's it. Like, uh, some of my parts are greater than the whole or the greater, whatever. He goes, you guys think you're such great stuff. Uh, he goes, picking and choosing your genes and then she, they try to change the subject. She says, well, how does your spectrum work, like your uh, visor work? And by changing it, like changing the subject, then Jordy says, well, it gives me a great idea. We could use the technology in my visor to with the tractor beam to keep it from overloading. And he says, oh, that's perfect. You know, total irony that a, my visor will be the one that saves your perfectly genetically engineered society no offense intended, but it's sweet, sweet irony. Uh, then we're back on the planet. It's date night on the planet, uh, and this prodigy's having this recital. It seemed, I mean, I guess to me, I wouldn't have fit in there anyway, but this was like a date night. Everyone's sitting on these uncomfortable benches and stuff. Just listening to this kid play piano with no other stimulation and uh, like, uh, it couldn't. I thought it looked terribly uncomfortable for me. Also, every a lot of people there have feathered hair. Not everybody, but it, I always like wondered what feathered hair was. It's the kind of thing you can see it, you know, when you see it. But I always was like, doesn't it just mean you're combing your hair backwards? Like, why you got to call it feathered? You know, someone with fur instead of hair. It was a difficult subject for me as a child, but I would say, well, it's not feathered; it's just combed backwards. What are you t- calling it feathered for? It, you know, I get it get on my nerves. I guess what I'm saying. Uh, then Baelish, uh, Aaron rolls out with. Oh, there's a little quake, and so then he says, "Keep playing," but I'm going to take a walk outside with Troy, and they go into this fern observ uh, observ uh, like uh, observa- observatory. And Troy says, she's just lovely here. And they're looking out the window outside of the, like, uh, base. It's like a desert. And he goes, yeah, it's sad we're going to lose it. And she goes, why don't you just rebuild somewhere? And then they, I didn't get this totally. says, well, he talks about the Humpty Dumpty nursery rhyme, which I said, well, why would your parents tell you that if you're perfect? Humpty Dumpty, like, they share a moment though, because he says Humpty Dumpty, blah, blah, blah. And then they say, it put, it fell off the wall, broke, and they put them back, to, tried to put them back together again, but they couldn't or whatever the proper Humpty Dumpty is. And they say, why do we you tell kids weird fairy tales? And uh, Troy says, to prepare them for times like these. Uh, And he goes, "Uh, fragile as an egg and impossible to reconstruct, just like our society. And she goes, geez, I wish I could help. He goes, well, you have been a help. You've been my counselor. And Troy goes, counselor indicates uh, professional distance. I'd rather think we're friends. And he says, this is total bail And She goes, friends? That won't do either. And then he gives her a kiss. He says, will it? And she goes, Aaron. And he goes, I must confess, uh, you know, if I thought about leaving, if we have to leave, then knowing you'd be on the other side, it would be pretty sweet. And then he kisses her again. And she says, this is wrong. And I couldn't tell if he said, uh, Either says terribly wrong or certainly wrong, and then kiss. They start to really kiss. Then there's a commercial, so everybody could get a tall, cold glass of water. Then we see Jordy and Hannah talking to Picard and Riker about the visor breakthrough, three hundred percent increase in efficiency. Riker's like, "That's not enough." And then they say, "Well, we'll fix the shields up too. Need about fifty engineers down there." Uh, then we go back down to the plant. There's like this overhead shot of Troy playing notes on a piano for a little while. And like we see that they're shard cross lovers. I thought that was funny to star shard cross lovers, uh, Troy and Aaron. Is that it there? Yeah, uh, I guess. Cause they talk like about, uh, that last night was a bad idea. And Troy says it shouldn't have happened, you know. And obviously we are star shard cross lovers because I couldn't. And then he says, well, if we leave the planet, we could probably go out. And she goes, you know, you no, this isn't this isn't bad idea. I'm going back to the ship. Uh, and then as soon as they say that, then Hannah and Jordy show up and they say, we're bring We need to bring 50 people down to fix the shield. And uh, they say, what do you think, Aaron? And he goes, is there no any other choice? They say, nope. And then he goes, all right. Oh, then there's a little mini-cake, Trisbent. I don't know, maybe that says transport. Then Aaron walks off, and then Troy has a sad look, and but stern. Then there's Captain's Log, because uh, it's the big day, the fragment move. And he says, you may proceed, Mr. LaForge. Uh, and then they need more power, so they reduce the life support to minimum, and then they... Uh, They're they're trying to increase the power of beam, then life support goes down, then they move the shard 1.01 off course. That's not enough, not yet. They lose two emitters, Uh, then there's down to like 15 seconds of life support, then five seconds, then 1.18, and then no, and then uh, they're not there yet. Then Picard says, Mr. LaForge goes, yes, sir. But then they got it, 1.2, they got it. So they call back, and they're like, success, Mr. Conner. He goes, geez, I can't express my appreciation. He goes, "Is Hannah there. And he goes, hey, we look forward to it when you get back. We're really honoring you appropriately. And she gets a sad face and crosses her arms and walks off. Then there's another ad. And then there's a Captain's Log supplemental. And Lego uh, said, okay, we got that shard moved. And Riker's like, geez, that should do it. We did great. Uh, this is 30-30. Nothing. What does that mean? I don't Nothing. Oh, he goes, you need anything else? And Aaron says, would you mind telling Deanna Troy? I'm sorry. I didn't uh, get a chance to say goodbye. And Riker gives him like this knowing look. He goes, yeah, no problem. I'm sure she'll feel the same way, man. Uh, totally. Then they get a call. Oh, there's a breach in the biosphere. And Hannah's like, "Geez, I'm not sure if I could seal it. Uh, And then Jordy says, huh, you mind if I give her a hand? And Hannah's trying everything uh, amazing, something good, amazing good. Uh, But Jordy's kind of standing behind her. And he goes, why are you doing this? And she goes, doing what? We're in trouble here. And he goes, Hannah, Hannah. I have a visor that sees everything, even the smallest crack. You know, we get it like, uh, even within your hearts, I see it all. And I'm saying, like, these two should have been the two that just got together. I mean, the way that, like, uh, he sees it, the, the deep on the inside, I can see a crack. Uh, like, uh, the, the sunshine needs to come in. Why are you doing this? And she goes, Well, I was born to be the best, but your technology is just so sweet. Uh, I can't, you know, I can't live back here. And he goes, well, maybe necessity is the mother of invention. You know, when you come up with stuff when you really need it. And she goes, yeah, I feel like I'm the victim of a 200 year old joke. And then we're back on the ship and the staff's meeting. Cause people are asking for asylum or Hannah, Hannah Bates is. And the, sta- the ship staff is like arguing, well, should we give it to him? Shouldn't we? Geordie versus Troy, like free will versus what's best for the colony. And they say, geez, well, we've, but says we may have done enough already. Uh, and he says, maybe it's time for me to go down there and meet Mr. Connor in person. Uh, hey, everybody, this is a little transition between this segment and the next one because uh, the recording. It's so like the recorder crashed in the middle of the recording, so it covered some ground twice here, but, you know, it's uh, sleep time, so you can kind of see, so we're going to rewind uh, just for a second, and then we'll continue on with the episode. All right, so uh, here, uh, here the next scene here is that uh, Jordy and uh, Hannah, uh, Jordy's tired, and they talk about kind of being like blindness, and how they don't have blindness, and... Uh, has Jordy always been blind? And Jordy says, Jesus, like, uh, you know, good thing I was born on earth. Uh, and Hannah kind of talks about Jesus, uh, like, uh, well, it's just rough being blind. That's what our founders would have thought. And Jordy says, well, you know, I, like, I got something to contribute. And then and, and they change the subject. So they talk about the visor. And how it uh, scans the electromagnetic magnetic scan- spectrum between 1 hertz and 1,000 tetrahertz and converts those frequencies and transmits them. And then Hannah talks about the data conversion rates and uh, they talk about compression and sensory overload, It's just interesting. And then they just got an idea, just, geez, what if we use the same idea for the tractor beam to move the stellar core away from your planet? That way it doesn't overload the emitters, because that was what the hang-up was. They were like, well, we don't have the power to push the tractor beam. But Hannah kind of had an idea, so they said, okay, let's try that. And they say, okay, let's do it, that's a great idea. And then Geordie says, hello, irony alert. That's great. If it was my visor that saves your perfect society, no offense. And then uh, we get on to the, back onto the planet. It's date night, and there's this prodigy kid recit like it was a piano recital. Looked to me like a uh, no offense to the kid playing the piano. Or to the people just sitting there on uncomfortable benches. Watching him play the piano because I do love classical music, but this looked terribly like 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 I definitely I mean obviously I would be out on that society anyway, but I mean how could you if I don't know it didn't look like a very pleasant evening but it did seem like it was date night, and it wasn't just the regular people there on dates, uh, like but then there's a little oh also a lot of feathered hair. 19, I think this was 1992. So I don't know. Again, the 80s influence. Uh, still not even sure what feathered hair is, but I guess I know it when I see it. And honestly, I still don't like. I remember a couple of my friends saying, "Well, I'm gonna feather." Well, you yeah, see I feather my sides or what, and I said, "I don't know." I, I guess I didn't. That was back when I was in fur denial. I thought, "Well, maybe, I, maybe what's on my head isn't fur." And one day I'll be able to do these things my classmates do with their hair. Not that I have animal fur. But, uh, so I think like, like I had some kind like I would hear what people said when they feathered it. Doesn't it just mean fricking comb your hair back? I mean, that's when I never got, it. I guess I don't want to mean to be agitated, but it's like, uh, cause I'm not really, but doesn't it just mean comb your hair back? What the heck is feathered or like brush it a lot? I guess that's other thing. In this podcast, I use a lot of extra words, but in my normal life, I say, well, just say you're combing your hair, why well, you got to use feathered? You just say you're combing your hair back. So I guess, like, another reason I wouldn't fit in on this planet. it's feathered hair. I mean, genetic, they'd say genetically your skull doesn't have human hair follicles. I'd say, right, that's an advantage uh, because it got you to notice, you know, okay, I won't live here. But then the dude rolls out and him and Troy are in the ferns, uh, in like the, uh, the fern area of this planet. And, uh, the point, uh, this point does not make sense really. Oh yeah. Cause let me get to the dialogue. Like they look out the window and Troy's like, geez, what a, like it's lovely in here, but outside of their base, it's like pretty desolate. And the dude's like, "Jeez, I don't want to lose it. And Troy says, can't you rebuild and then I, didn't, I, did, I guess I get it, get it a little bit where the guy tells the, this nursery rhyme that he heard, which he said, really, uh, you repurpose it, they didn't even repurpose it. They're supposed to be genetically superior. And they just said, Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. And then they say together, all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. And they have a laugh. You know, Why do we tell these children these stories? And Troy says, to prepare them for times like this. And then he gets, he gets a little, this is when he says, well, Jesus, fragile as an egg, but impossible to reconstruct. That's what we are. We're integrated and refined to such a degree that any fundamental change would lead to chaos, which kind of uh, is a double negative or whatever you want to call it. She says, geez, I'm sorry. I wish there was something to help. And he says, you have. You've been my counselor. And she goes, no, counselor maintains a discreet distance. I think we're friends. And he goes, friends, that won't do either. Then he goes in for kiss number one. And he says, will it? And she says, Aaron. And he says, I must confess, a part of me knows that if I transport for these walls, you'll be on the other side. Uh, talking about when he, you know, if they left. And uh, then he kisses her number two. And he says, she says, this is wrong. And he says, terribly wrong. And, uh, I think he said certainly wrong. Maybe he said terribly wrong. Uh, for, and then he goes, kiss, kiss number three, which is very mutual. Then they go to commercial, you know, everybody get a cold glass of water. And then we have Jordy, and Hannah, Hannah talking to Riker and Picard about, uh, the visor breakthrough. 300% increase in efficiency. Riker's like, that's not enough. And they're like, yeah, but then we can refine the shields. Uh, uh, then it's the next day, like the morning. You know, morning. Uh, and there's an overhead shot of Troy playing on the piano. Just some notes. And it looks down on her for a while. And then Aaron comes out. And we see that it's a star across the lover situation. Because she, she, he says, hey, you're up early. She goes, I'm going back to the ship. Uh, we can't see each other again. He says, why? And she says, well, it's the right thing to do. And he says, well, Jesus, are you mad? And she goes, yeah, they shouldn't have let this happen. And uh, he says, "Diana." She says, I could fall in love with you, but we can't really do that. And she goes, uh, how would Martin feel about uh, half betas away to DNA and your genetic balance? And I thought this was, I'm not exactly sure the premise delivery on this, but the whole idea that uh, is his judgment fogged by his love and attraction for Troy. I guess they did deliver on the promise of that. Because he says, well, Jesus, if we have to get out of here, you know, we could still date or whatever. And she says, "She's a few days ago you thought we were better than us. She goes, this is my fault. And he goes, I need you here. He goes, we don't have, he goes, uh, she goes, I got to go. And then, boom, Jordy and Hanna show up right in time. They say, We got to get 50 engineers down here to fix the shield. It's the only chance we got. And a tries bent. I don't know what that means. And then there's a mini quake. Uh, no other choice. Tries bent. Maybe transport? I don't know. Uh, transport in. Maybe that's what I said. Uh, then there's a mini-quake. Then Aaron walks off, sadly. Troy has a stern look. And then there's a commit captain's log. Uh, supplemental. It's a big day. They're going to move the fragment. Picard says, you may proceed, Mr. LaForge. Uh Then they need more power, so they reduce the life support to minimum. And they must increase it, and their stuff starts to fail. And Han and Geordi are working hard. 1.01, they're not here yet. Uh, then they lose two of the emitters are down. They have 15 seconds of life support, and they're at 1.18. And then they say, no, no. And then uh, Picard says, Mr. LaForge. He goes, yes, sir. And then they bring power back online and they're at 1.2. And they're like, we got it. So we did it. And then they call the colony. They say, Mr. Connor, success. He goes, I can't exp- express my appreciation he goes, is Hannah able to hear me? And she goes, Yeah, and he goes, I look forward to having you uh honoring you appropriately when you return. And she crosses her arms and makes a sad face and walks away. And uh, then uh, uh there's an ad and then there's a captain's log supplemental, you know, we move to the shard. Uh Riker's finishing up on the planet, Riker's like, All right, I should do it and then the crew starts to leave, uh and he goes, Is there, there's uh, nothing else, huh? And then this 30-30 uh, left, and then the alarm goes off, and they say, oh, no, wait, first counter says, hey, by the way, uh, thanks for your help. Uh, could you uh, tell Deanna Troy I'm sorry? I didn't have the opportunity to say goodbye personally. Riker gives him this knowing. He goes, I'm sure she'll feel the same way. He gives him this knowing look. Uh, then the... Then, uh, I'm sure she'll feel the same way. 30 30, that was. Uh, then there's a breach in the vi- biosphere, and Hannah's not sure if they could seal it. And Jordy's like, huh, that's interesting. Mind if I give you a hand? And then Hannah's trying to do all this work, and Jordy's kind of looking over his shoulder. He goes, yeah, that's amazing. Great. Uh, he goes, why are you doing this? And she goes, What do you mean? He goes, he goes Hannah, I got this visor. I guess see everything, even the smallest crack, is subtech city, crack all the way on your deep inside within your heart. And he goes, Why are you doing this? She goes, "She says after seeing your tech, I can't even. She goes, Ours is so weak. I can't. Uh, I was born to be the best uh, engineer. And since you've been here, I realize that, you know, we're living in this uh, thing. And they say maybe the necessity really is the mother of invention. When you really need it, you figure this kind of stuff out. And she says, "I guess we're the victims of a 200-year-old joke." And then we cut back to the ship, and Ricard's talking about asylum. Uh, that that Hanna's asked for asylum, and, and I say, "Well, why shouldn't you know?" They're, they're, it's like uh, all, all the top-level crew's going back and forth about what they should do. And Jordy's like, yes, but then they're talking, Troy's kind of like, well, what's free will versus what's best for the colony? And Picard says, well, we may have done too much to help them already. And he said, I think it's time for me to meet this Mr. Connor. Now, this is Aaron Connor, remember, not John Connor. I also, this scene, Worf, I, I, I think I need a personal Wharf because Worf raised his hand. He goes, why don't we just help them? Like he always uh even when he's speaking normally, a lot of times he raises his voice in an aggressive way. And that really tends, tends to kind of like, I like I get a, like I, I need someone to help me like with that. Well, she's like, this is just how I say things through. And they say, okay, like if Worf did that all the time, maybe I would get adjusted to when other people raise their voice. And then I like say, well, I need to switch on my ENA authority emitter beams, uh, so, anyway, then uh, at Riker and Troy are on the lift. Uh, this was a good scene. And uh, Troy says, Stop the lift. And she goes, Captain, I got to tell you something. I've used poor judgment, unprofessional. And Picard says, What is it, counselor? Take a deep breath. And she said, Connor and I have a relationship. And on relationship, uh, there's like this, uh, this Picard grimace and swallow. She goes, she say. he goes, I see. And she goes, yeah, it should have never happened. It was, uh, it should have been, I should have thought about it. And he goes, what is your status now? And she goes, I don't tend on seeing him again. Uh, he has this thoughtful mute movement during that point. And he goes, well, do you now want to come? She goes, no, no, no. I think I should go along, uh, but I wanted you to know. He goes, all right. She goes, and she said, we just wanted to help, uh, And Picard says, geez, again, he reflects this, you know, his ideas, which are kind of the positive ones. He goes, we went into this with the best intentions. We all make mistakes. Uh, Nobody's perfect. That's what being human's all about. Thanks, thanks, Sean Luke. So let's see. Then we're back on the planet. Uh, They're debating there, the big three people from the planet, Hannah, Martin, and Connor. Notice they didn't have any elders. I don't know if that's part of their society too like that they didn't talk about, but like everyone like there weren't any elders there to kind of give them any wisdom. Maybe that would have helped uh, again, I'm not running any societies, but uh but they have a debate then Picard and Troy roll and Picard says, let me talk to Mr. Connor. And then Hannah wants to put in her opinion, but uh, her and Martin act a little bit childish, both of them, for people that are superior to me. And then Troy and Hannah go for a walk. Aaron sends Martin out, and he says, Jesus, the Supreme Court guy, he saw this coming. Uh, he goes, I know what Hanna's feeling. Uh, he goes, I was really intrigued by your people, too, and I don't know if I used my best judgment and maybe I'd cause some of this problem. And they see, she says, geez, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how we fix this. And even Picard says, well, geez, I wish I could see a way to fix this too. And they say, "They go back and forth. They say, well, what are we going to do? I was born to govern it, not to dismantle it. And Picard says, well, I got to, you know, keep make keep air on the side of human rights. And like, and of says, well, I got to air on the side of the rights of everybody here. He goes, maybe you should just get out of here like like a thief in the night. He goes, like Troy did in the morning. It was in the morning with my heart. Uh, and he goes, well, that's a little sim- simplistic. Uh, he goes, because it's a human rights issue. And again, they kind of talk about it. And Picard says, well, you're going to have to figure this out. You're the leader. Uh, you know, I don't know. And then, so then they have a meeting, a big meeting. Everybody's at the courtyard. And there's chattering, and Aaron says, geez, okay, here's the deal. You can go, but I'd ask that you stay. What does this say? Me, Garethus. Me, I don't know what the, uh but, but basically, even though my handwriting's not clear, they say, he, he says, what if you just give us six months? Just stay for six months. And Ricard says, well, it will give you a chance to weigh the consequences, but Hannah's like, no, 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 no way. Would you want to live in a ship in a bottle uh and then they kind of point the fingers again about who's causing pain and anguish. Uh, so I think Hannah says to Aaron, it's time for you to lead us into a new era. And he says, again, like, he doesn't say anything. He says, okay, well, when you, if you decide to return, we'll welcome you with open arms. Uh, like, uh, then Aaron and Troy go for a walk and they kind of review the episode in some sense. He says, geez, I don't have any re- re- regrets. Uh, you know, for falling for you now, but uh, it's gonna be interesting picking up the pieces here. And I'm just not just talking about my entire engineered society. I'm also talking about you know my heart. And I don't know. He goes, "Oh, the," and then he really like uh like burns her. He says, "Jesus, as hard as I try, I can't believe I fell for someone. Uh, you know, I have all these genetically." Uh, uh, Compatible women, but I fall in love with you. He guess this is bad. He goes, uh, "Perhaps it's your inner imperfections which make you so unique." Uh, but I'm in love with you, Deanna Troy, and I always will be. She said, "Thanks a lot." Uh, she, she goes, "By the way, you're supposed to say that in much subtler and surface terms, but it is charming because it is true in some." And that's it. And then uh, Total Burn, I put, uh, I will always love you, Whitney, like the Whitney Houston song. And then there's a shot of the Enterprise, and Picard's holding a crystal. And Riker comes in. They got 23 people on board. And this was a learning moment. He said, Picard says, if we ever need a reminding of the importance of the prime directives, it's now. And Riker says, well, the prime directive doesn't apply. They're human Bicard says, really? Uh, well, our presence uh, messed it up. He goes, it's, "He goes, we have to have responsibility. And Riker goes, we stopped that core fragment. And, I, you know, I also mean more than just a, he goes, a fragment of a heart, too. And he goes, yeah, well, we're just as dangerous as any core fragment. And then they say the lovers of the enterprise, just as dangerous as any core fragment could be. And then the episode comes to a close. All right, so the Prime Directive came up on this episode because I, actually I didn't know that the Prime Directive did not apply to people, humans. So I wanted to learn a little bit about it, and there's a lot of good articles out there that maybe we'll cover over this, but uh, this one's from the Memory Alpha Wiki. Uh Prime Directive, also known as Starfleet General Order 1, or the Non-Interference Directive, was... Uh, one of the most imo- important ethical pr- principles, non-interference with other cultures and civilizations. Uh, it was a core, it was a philosophical con- concept that uh, personnel should refrain in interfering with uh, natural unassisted development of societies, even if it was well-intentioned. Uh, and uh, it was so fundamental that all Starfleet officers swore to uphold it, even at the cost of uh, you know anything. It's a precursor, though somewhat undefined. It can be traced back to John Arthur's uh, and Phlox's, uh ethical dilemma when they dealt with two spe- species. One that was doing well and one wasn't so, doing so great, and they had to kind of come up with a doctrine that humans, should, like, when sh- should it, what should we do when we're out in space interacting with life forms and to not... Uh, Interrupt the national evolu- natural evolutionary course. Um, you know, not to play God, basically, and uh, fundamental r- r- principles were important part as early as twenty-one fifty-two, but not a general order till twenty-one sixty-eight. So, not that far off. You know, some of you, what is it, twenty-six seventeen? Oh, maybe not. We, we don't. We don't got to worry about it. Uh, directive remained until the 24th, 24th century, applied to Starfleet, merchant marines, but not regular citizens. It was a complicated order, had 47 suborders, uh, and, but a high-level summary so was no identification of self-remission, no interference with the social development of a said planet. N- uh, I don't understand that. Uh, the directive provided guidance on what considered a prohibited interference covering such matters as giving them knowledge of other worlds, uh, providing tech or science, uh, taking actions that would affect their development, uh, taking actions to support one group over another, helping them escape a negative consequences of their own actions, uh, getting them out of natural disasters, Uh, even, uh, hmm, even if it, uh, yeah, uh, subverting or avoiding uh, the application of society's laws that we saw recently at Justice, interfering with internal affairs. And there's a lot more on this uh, thing. There's a couple other articles I found. I'll just go to one tonight because uh, there's a longer one about, uh, about it that we'll use another time. But this one's from Forbes, and it uh, raises the question, uh, Is the Prime Directive Ethical? It was written by Janet uh, Stemwedel. It was from August twentieth, uh, 2015. Uh, Within Star Trek, the Prime Directive is a crucial regulation. I'm going to try to paraphrase. How well does it work as an ethical rule? It prohibited interference with other cultures and civilizations. In particular, it's attempted, aimed at preventing interference with the internal development of civilizations, less advanced. Even though Starfleet officers take an oath to uphold the Prime Directive, even if it means sacrifices, it is not involuble, V-I-O-L-A-B-L-E, involuble. Invol- uh Kirk violated it with regular regularity and uh, like uh, some people would it strictly adhered to it, but how does it fare as a general approach to ethics of sharing a universe? Uh the Prime Directive reflects a consequentialist approach, a commitment to reducing harm and a Kantian commitment to respecting others' autonomy. Uh, built into the Prime Directive is an assumption that cultures cultures are better off left to their own devices. Devices, devices could mean social practices or technologies. And the interference by starfleet, even if well-intentioned, it could mess up things in unanticipated ways. And if the culture in question is left to deal with the unintentional consequences, it might be worse than their own free choices. It also embodies an anti-colonialist ethos, a commitment to respecting civilization's values, beliefs, and practices, rather than imposing better ones upon them. Well, so far, I like it uh, very good. Remember, when Star Trek started, it was during Vietnam, uh, the author says. uh, As well as a policy of non-interference reflects a particular attitude to studying other cultures... uh, Namely, you're trying to understand how the culture and its members would behave if observers weren't there. Intervening is presumed to contaminate natural behaviors and authentic casual chains, uh, including indigenous technologies that flow from them. Uh, Note that even observing the culture can interfere with it, which we found out. Uh, this is not quite the same as a measurement problem for quantum mechanics where our own measurements of such systems involve hitting them with uh, photons or electrons uh, to the system we're trying to measure. Okay, that's over my head. Rather, it's more like the problem prima primi- prim- primatologists encounter in field studies uh, of whether their presence, if noted by the primates, uh, uh, messes up their behavior. If your concern is not to change the natural behaviors of the development of alien citizens at any cost, your best bet is to stay home rather than explore new worlds. Uh, But page two of the article says it it does line up with uh, strong moral intuitions that we should respect the autonomy of other cultures and strive not to inflict unintentional harms on them. It also bumps up against the fact that Star Trek is all about the ethical project of sharing a universe. Sharing a universe with another culture is a different kind of project than treating a culture as an object of study. I like this a lot. Sharing a universe uh, puts you in a different relationship than you would be with photons. Uh, you're trying to understand, you know, something like that. And there may be circumstances where choosing not to intervene with results and not going well. And there's a way that, which respecting autonomy by withholding information might be seen as a paternalistic move. Sharing the universe with other beings involves a reciprocity. Even if technological technological attainment is different, it means recognizing you are owed the same moral consideration. Uh, Maybe this is why the prime directive is not an, an exceptionalist rule. Even if Starfleet ought not to play God, nor use its superior in technologies, ultimately ethics may require that we trust other civilizations to choose their own paths. Even as they grapple, this is direct with the possibilities presented by contact with Starfleet. Really, sharing a universe in itself isn't a kind of intervention. The trick is finding a way to share it on something like equal terms. So that's a great article. By, that's by Janet Stemwettel over on Forbes. Uh, so yeah, I guess uh, that I really that, and I'll link to it in the show notes. And good night.